Yeah. So we're not a healthy society who has this one issue, right? Right. This is, this is, if you think about, it's not you, the homeless, it's right. Right. It's a byproduct <laughs> you think of about, where our culture has been going. Well, yeah. so you think about you driving your car and all of a sudden some, some warning lights start flashing, right? This is a big indicator. This is a big signal, big warning sign that, Hey, there's some real things wrong here. And welcome back to the Unyielding Podcast, Episode 5, where we talk about anything and everything from a biblical perspective. Again, we are inviting you into conversations that we, the five of us, have been having for years on just different topics in life, in family, in culture, civilization, where we try to bring a biblical perspective. We try to think about it from a godly perspective. And so we want to invite you along into that conversation. It might be profitable for you and uh, useful for the kingdom of God. That's our prayer. Uh, can we open in prayer? And I'll pray first. Father, pray God this conversation would be encouraging and edifying, Lord, that it would be useful to you, Father. We pray God for your enlightenment, Lord. We pray God for your leading. And we pray God that you would be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As you can tell, some things have changed. We uh, are making some changes here to make this podcast a little more visually interesting. So we got rid of the headphones and the mics. We moved to um, these armchairs. And so that's kind of our plan. I wanted to introduce our topic today by saying that I was recently thinking about going on vacation with my family and um, I was, we, I have six kids, so it's hard to fly anywhere. And so I was thinking about what are places we can drive and, um, and we have the desert to the east of us. We have Mexico to the south of us, so we have the Pacific ocean to the west. And so that basically leaves north, north of San Diego. We have two world-class cities. We have Los Angeles and San Francisco, both within a day's drive. And, um, and I just thought there's no way in hell that I'm taking my family to either one of those two cities. Now, when I was growing up, we went to San Francisco kind of a few times. I have these great memories of these family vacations to San Francisco, Fisherman's Wharf, Golden Gate Bridge, um, just kind of a, a Lombard street, right? Kind of an iconic city, uh, a lot of character, like very interesting. I don't know that I ever was very interested in Los Angeles. Los Angeles has always kind of been uh, a pit, you know, but, um, uh, like, <laughs> okay, well, so you're the CD kind of grimy. <laughs> so you're the guy. You're the guy that actually likes LA. Yeah, it's pretty much a, a given that nobody in San Diego likes Los Angeles. But here's these two cities. Uh, as, as far as worldwide cities, GDP, I looked this up. Los Angeles is the third largest GDP of any city in the world. I think London and New York are the only two that are above it. San Francisco is the 11th highest GDP. So, and that just is San Francisco. That doesn't even include, uh, you know, uh, yeah, the whole Valley and Cupertino and all that kind of stuff. So, um, from, from that perspective, what we should see is these two old, iconic, you know, successful, booming cities. And yet the reason I don't want to take my family there is because I'm afraid of getting accosted by some kind of violent criminal or some kind of homeless person on the street being kind of involved in some kind of altercation. That being said, like I feel as a, a, a grown man, I feel pretty comfortable with my sense of ability to handle myself in different situations and navigate, you know, potential kind of situations. And if, and if I went there myself, um, I think I'd be on kind of high alert. Like I'd be kind of aware of my surroundings and aware of what's going on, but it seems unwise to take my wife and my six kids and try to navigate a situation that could likely occur in those kind of situations. Um, am I overreacting or is something changing? And I just want to be clear too. I'm not just talking about Los Angeles and San Francisco, which I think are um, two of the worst, but they're just kind of poster childs because I think even here in San Diego, in the last month, I have seen three 
fully naked people just walking on the street or driving down the street. I was, I was driving uh, on, um, I was, I was getting off the eight where it turns onto the five and walking up, you know, it kind of has that, um, that dual off ramp right there to get onto five South. It also is Rosecrans walking up the Rosecrans on ramp is a, a woman that is fully naked that has a little cardboard box kind of in front of her private parts, but it's completely dirty, filthy, naked, um, walking up onto the freeway. Right. Um, I saw another guy just on the side of the road, uh, naked. I was in Dallas recently. I saw a guy, um, we went to see, that's where, uh, um, JFK was shot and killed. And so we went to see where that was. And there's a little memorial park there. And there's this little fountain with a little, you know, bench height edge to it. And there's a guy fully pants down around his knees, just laying, sleeping, you know, butt out in the air. And I just thought this is not even uncommon anymore. I mean, it this sounds like, like you got the same curse Tobias has. If there, if there is homeless nudity, yeah, I'm spot. <laughs> he's he's got it. Hey, well, I wasn't looking for it. Uh, it came looking for me. So I don't know what's happening, but it feels like in the last few years, maybe several years, that something has drastically and dramatically changed in at least in California. You know that that I've noticed here in San Diego. There's encampments, people tents on the side of the street that That's, never were encampments which is totally different from my experience in san diego and you were saying like where would you go you know for a vacation you pick la and san francisco yeah they're bad i was just contemplating buying season passes to the padre game and i was like do i want to go downtown san diego as like i want to go use this but i don't want to interact with that's where the main encampments are and um the encampment part is so strange that that doesn't feel like any kind of homelessness I've ever. That's been an LA thing for a while. You know, you go under bridges and there's full on apartment complexes built out of tarps and mattresses and couches and battery f- battery refrigerators that aren't plugged yeah. in. And for some reason, well, pro- propane yeah, propane right. tanks, right? That just happened in LA. They blew up under the tin or whatever, right? So yeah, my um my mom. I mean, just a. Again, it's unfortunate, but this is real. This is just public life. My mom, and my brother were driving to a Padre. This is before the Padre starts. So it's about four o'clock in the afternoon. They're driving down. Uh, they're getting off the 163 onto 10th Avenue, and there's a man on the side of the road with a woman. My mom at first thought that she was sick and that he was helping her, and then she realized they're both actually having sex right there on the side of the road at four o'clock in the afternoon in downtown San Diego. So that's the kind of insanity that is. Yeah, that is kind of permeating all over the place that our kids are aware of that yeah, normal you see that with kids how do you walk that back what do you do? you're yeah. taking your kids somewhere just as a barometer my neighborhood is nice there's some weird things that happen some cross through traffic i've had some weird things but one thing i've never had just i think it was last week um a homeless man was walking down the sidewalk near my house stopped in his tracks untied his jacket from his waist pulled his pants down and took a dump in the street yeah 9 a.m People walking their dogs, cars going by, yeah, and then just pull and then just headed on out. That's never happened before, um, <laughs> and that's uh, that sucks. Yeah, I don't, <laughs> I don't think this is us being alarmist in any kind of way. I think that it's just the normal lived experience of people who live in Southern California, who over the past several years, the level of of craziness is just beginning to reach peak levels that. I didn't think were possible. You know, there's always been homelessness. There's always been mentally ill people. There's always been crazy people. That's always, I remember being a kid and going downtown to the old spaghetti factory before it turned into the old spaghetti factory, the new old spaghetti factory. And so I was probably 
eight years old. And I remember this, so this is out in the gas lamp before they kind of did all the revitalization. It was a real seedy place. And um, there was the guardian angels were down there. That was that, uh, that, that group of vigilantes that had like, Oh, the red, the, the, the red berets. Yeah, red yeah, berets. yeah. Yeah. And, um, and so I'm, you know, there was, there was, there was drug dealers and there was that kind of stuff. And these guys are saying, Hey, enough, we're not going to put up with this anymore. But I mean, it wasn't anywhere near what it is now. And in, in my 45 years of living in San Diego, I've never seen anything like what we're seeing today. Um, and it, it goes hand in hand with just a rise in criminality. Uh, you, we see people on a regular basis, just grabbing stuff out of stores and running. We see regular, I mean, they, they, you've seen these videos of people that are on fentanyl where they're driving down the street and there's just 30 people all stuck in slow motion. Yeah, you know what I mean? Because uh, <clears throat> that's trank, right? Fentanyl and horse tranquilizer mixed together. Well, even fentanyl, what fentanyl does is it slows down your breathing to where, you know, you see, they, you see these videos of people, even at work, you know, who are like taking somebody's order and then they just pause because they're stuck, you know, and then they come out of it. And it's, and it's re, I mean, it is insane. So, so is this just us? Am I overreacting or what is going on and what is change? What is, what is it that's causing this kind of change? Well, I think from a global perspective, what we're seeing in these major American cities is the decay of them. I mean, that's what we're really seeing is b through drugs, crime, mental health crisis, um, economic depression, uh, businesses leaving in droves. We're seeing the decay of them. And I think a lot of it from a uh, policy perspective is, a lot of these laws have changed in the past five, 10 years to enable and actually encourage drug use, um, not addressing mental health issues, pinching businesses as hard as you can so they cannot operate. And so a combination of uh, the combination of all these storms is we're seeing the, the lack of moral results in Western American cities. And I think it's not just California. I think it's Portland and Washington and Oregon. Well, you said you started by saying worldwide. So if, is this what I'd see if I went to Tokyo? No, 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 no. I'm saying, I'm saying Western American cities. Okay. Sorry. Western American cities. Okay. So what is it that's happening in Western American cities? Because I, I could look at California. I know there's some specific things that have happened in California that I think are contributing factors. One of the things that I thought was really interesting is that over half or almost half of the homeless population in the United States of America lives in California, which is insane so well, I, I think it's an even larger percentage on the west coast if you include sure. portland yeah yeah yeah, yeah and all kind of adopting the same policies right so and so there's there's sort of a uh um an, an increase in homelessness uh interesting that I, I heard someone who is one of the sociologists who studies um homelessness they were saying that the uh, a large majority of the homeless population in california is actually not from california that it's people moving to california um, so what is it that we're doing right or wrong that is happening here? And I, I've been to New York uh, in the last couple of years. It was the homeless, the homeless situation there was bad there. When I, when I say homeless, I don't just mean indiscriminately homeless people. I mean, when you're walking down the street and you see people who are obviously resisting societal norms and pushing back on stuff like what, what so that, is I think, I think that's something here is like, we use, we're even using the word homeless now is probably not the most appropriate word. If we were in a more polite company, I think they would say unhoused or something. So there's, there's a shift in how we're, um, thinking about homeless. And like, uh, I, I don't know if I, if it is good to bring 
Like we used to call them bums. Yeah, that's kind of what I want to call. And uh, <laughs> and yeah, I, I don't even feel comfortable calling the people that we see on the street homeless anymore. That's so. There's something about this. It it has a little bit more to do with some of those other factors. Wait, why don't you feel comfortable with that? Because by calling them homeless, you are I feel like that's the only problem. You're suggesting that they, that's their most immediate issue. Yeah, they don't have a roof over their head. And like you're describing, where you're seeing zombies on the street, you're telling me if you just place that person under a roof that everything's fine. And that's the most uncompassionate thing that I can think of is just, we as deciders just say, just get them out of my sight. I don't want to see them. Just put them in a room somewhere right. so we don't have to see them. So I think we need to rethink how we're labeling this issue, that it's not homeless, that it's drug addiction, that it's mental illness, that it's a lack of personal responsibility. That's so lack of well, my wife, was a, my wife was a social worker for a while and she'd tell me all these stories and she's having to work with the kids of people that are homeless. So she has to go try and find them. And they don't want to be in things that are provided for them. So they could have shelters, but the shelters come with rules. You can't be on drugs when you're in a shelter. So they would be like, no, I don't want to do that. So she's regularly tracking people down. And there's these spots like there's these little cluster points where there's there's electrical outlets outside of the San, downtown San Diego library. And that's where they go so they can charge their phone. That, and, and But they don't get any of the. They don't they aren't accepting of any of the social norms that we're we're saying are we're following rules. Yeah, they don't they don't want rules. So horrible stories, terrible stories where this the woman, she's homeless. My wife, being the social worker, is interacting with her child, needs to find her child. The woman gave her child to another person just to watch so she could go get high around this little hub of homeless activity. And there's just homeless people interacting in these ways where you're it's not about homelessness it's not about the fact that they don't have a roof over their head it's their whole pattern of thinking is is broken in a way where i don't know it doesn't well, think, feel I right think, to call them to call them homeless or to say that they don't have we don't have enough houses to put people in i like, think as we start the discussion too that it's probably helpful like most of these topics to say there's like there's there's this small uh group of people or or whatever you want to call it that's kind of the true need Right. And then there's all the noise and all the things that kind of get lumped in and conflated with that. And I think like for this one, there are people who can't make rent down on their luck, lose their job. Yeah. They have have some huge hospital bill, single mom, single mom, yeah. uh, abusive situation. Got to get out. These kind of things where those people truly are. Hey, I'm in my car or I'm or I'm I'm sleeping somewhere, but I'm I'm working. I'm fighting to get me or me and my kids or whatever into a place, the, into back into a home. So the, I think there's that's the kind of the the true need. Um, and then there's there's everything else, which I think a lot of what we're talking about today is kind of the the everything else outside of not saying that people these people don't have needs, but there's there's not just the pure need of a home, right? So there's sort of a, a wisdom required as you look at the situation. And one of the reasons is, is because, you know, it's easy for people to say, look, these are unhoused neighbors and to champion all the people who are, who are these, we should have sympathy towards that. We, we should let, you know, um, be careful with, we should uh, lend a helping hand to, and to categorize the whole context of the whole situation as if that's the big picture we're looking at. It would also be a mistake for us to say, look, every person who doesn't have an address is uh, is a problem in society is delinquent. We want to get rid of them. Now, I don't actually know anybody who thinks the the way that way. Phil, what you were saying, like I don't want to call them homeless because there's so many these other situations. I I know that there's a lot of people 
typically on the left or there's a there's a huge apparatus defending the rights of people to vagrants to be able to live on the street and live however they want because it's a very difficult narrow thing to police um it's very difficult to make laws that are going to fix the problem and so they'll make it seem like people on the left will make it seem like all you care about is you don't want poor people around you're disgusted by poor people or you know you you have this this fear of oh you i don't want my things to to be dirty or i don't want to be inconvenienced or something when man that's not the reality the reality is our civilization is beginning to see massive cracks in it and and there's major things that are happening and and there's a lot of do-gooders or i'm not sure that they're do-gooders i'm not sure if they if they're even if they're they're their intuitions are altruistic. I think sometimes in many ways, there's people who want to, it's a scam. They want to make money off of the homeless problem. And if you fix the homeless problem, their, their jobs go away. So they don't, they don't want to fix. So there's a whole, there's a whole billion dollar industry, right? There's a whole economy that springs up around keeping people in poverty, keeping people on the streets. It is really a perverse incentives that work against it. Um, but, but for, for people who are coming at, I think largely probably from our perspective, we haven't fully fleshed it. I think wherever he's at, but I think it is important for us to be, conscious and aware of how do we how do we make a distinction at least in our minds in people that we want to help and are deserving our sympathy and maybe people that we don't want to one of the reasons is because like we said we're, we're coming at this from a, a christian perspective a biblical perspective the bible has a lot to say about how we treat poor people the bible has a lot to say about having a heart your heart being inclined to poor people let me just read you a few verses for us to kind of think about you think about the the good samaritan right the um he goes and he finds this guy beat up on the side of the road a messed up situation and he gets involved in helping and says that that's what loving your neighbor looks like. Proverbs nineteen seventeen: whoever's generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. Paul speaking to the Ephesian church, he says, I have coveted no one's silver, gold, or clothes. Each one, each one must give as he's decided his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, but God giving a cheerful giver. Uh, Proverbs 22, 9, whoever has a bountiful eye will be blessed. He who shares his bread with the poor, uh, for he shares his bread with the poor. So the the Bible, we, we go on and on and on. The Bible has a lot to say about being generous with poor people. What would you say to somebody if, if they heard you saying, man, the, the homeless population or the, the, the homeless problem or, you know, defining it a different way is out of control and we need to do something about it. We need to change something. Uh, what would you say if somebody, a Christian who rightly says, man, are, shouldn't we be really compassionate yeah, yeah. and caring? But here's, here's the thing. And I, I feel like maybe you were going to say something too, but I... We are compassionate caring. I've walked up to homeless people more than once trying to give them food and they don't want food. They want something else. They want money, which, okay, do, when is it okay that they want money? Like, I'm trying to meet a need in a person that looks like they're starving and they actually don't want any food from me. So what am I doing now? If I give you 20 bucks or 10 bucks or five bucks or whatever, and I know you are probably on drugs, and you're going to use that money to go get drugs. It, I think it boils down. We've talked about this before. Is that compassion? Is that what we're being blessing? So is that well? I think also the definition of poor, right? We live in the United States of America, especially if you're talking about you know California. Um, it's a very prosperous area, right? And that doesn't mean that the homeless have all the same resources as everybody else. But there's something about like if you go downtown San Diego right now, any of us. Uh, I mean, if, I guess if you look the part enough. You're going to go go and stand there and around 4 or 5 p.m., you're going to have cars of people dropping off tacos. You can go in and get a bottle of water somewhere, a cup clean of water somewhere. You can, yeah, clean pair, clean pair of socks. You can go to a shelter and, and get uh, get food or you can check in if you want to abide by the rules. Uh, now, wintertime, I, I don't know. Sometimes there's different situations. There's true shortages. But like 
Um, I don't know that the people that are that are on the street um, in our city are necessarily the kind of people that need a cup of water, that they're just they're, they're dying of thirst. It's more about they certainly have a need, but I think that need is more on a spiritual level, more on a, in a mental a direction, oh, a mental health, uh, uh, physical needs, maybe, um, you know, dependence on, on drugs and things like that. Um, and so maybe there's something to talk about there that's, um, you know, those kind of treatments. What does help look like? What, what does help look like? Yeah, yeah. I think yeah. this would be helpful too, though, to talk about what is our heart towards people that we meet on on the street versus how do we solve this big issue with laws? What's our perspective yeah, right. on homelessness and abandoning society and all the ills that, that come with it? And um, I think the heart, our heart should be to start out... Um, we want to help people, right? I think if you're, if you see someone and you want to help them and you offer them food or even money, if, if someone's asking for money, they say they're in need and you give them some money. Um, if your heart is to help them and you're, that you look like they're in need and you want to help them, um, that's not wrong. And you know, I'll look back to like, like my kids, right? My son, if he sees someone who looks like down their luck, they're outside of stores. I mean, Hey dad, can I give them $3 that I have? In that, that simple, you know, from the mouth of babes, yeah, of course. Like that's, that's him wanting to show generosity and help someone, right? And you don't want to suppress. You don't want to suppress that. Now, as a, and, and, and in my youth, I, we've, done, we've done a lot of homeless ministry, handing out sandwiches and clean socks and um, trying to minister to homeless and, you know, and, and give them what they need. As I've gotten older, you realize you should still keep that heart of generosity and, you know, if you gave someone who's thirsty a cup of water, you did that to me, right? Jesus said, like, that's still true. Um, no, you give the guy some water and then he goes and shoots up. Okay, like, as you get older, the issue gets more complicated. And I do think we should think about how how we address it. Um, but I don't think the heart towards an individual, you run into someone, um, you know, it's... it's well, well, I, what's, well what, let what's me, putting a lot of pressure on me is my heart towards individuals when I when it it's hard to think of it simplistically and it, it becomes more of a challenge to see the person standing on the side of the road and meeting their need becomes a more complicated idea once you get into these I, and i've done it before it, i've you know met a guy there's a guy at panera he's laying his head on the table he's you know got a cup of coffee but he's you know hey what's i start talking to the guy the guy's home he's some dude just hit him with a little mini Louisville slugger while he's sleeping behind a target, right? He, who knows what happened? He's down on his luck. He can't get work. You know, I buy the guy breakfast. I try to get him some work boots. Talk to him. I get him. A, I got him a hotel for the night. I think the, the dude even came to the Bible or Bible study yeah. once. Now, at every as I got deeper into you, know, I get him a hotel room, and then he's like, "Hey, they're charging you. They're charging." I, I go to check out or pay for it, right? Hey. You're no smoking in the room. We're going to charge you $150, whatever it is, right? Right. So I go talk to the guy. Hey, man, you smoking in the room? No, I swear, man. He probably was, right? right. Most likely was. He was smoking in the room. Um, and then you get into, hey, those work boots, like what size do you wear? Oh, so he's not getting back. Got to get some money. Like it gets it gets real messy real fast. There's this uh, this influencer, Jimmy Darts, who is is this Christian guy. He goes around. He just gives people money, blesses people. Typically poor people, homeless people, he's meeting people. So he met this young kid on the side of the street, said he was like 18 years old. His whole family was drug addicts. He had some, all this, he just had this whole story that was terrible. And the guy ended up, he has these, all these followers, like super, he's a big influencer. And so 
he gave him some money and then he, he started GoFundMe for him. They ended up raising over $100,000. And all these people started writing and saying, I know that guy, that's not his story. He's totally lying. It's a grift, it's a scam. And and so there's this, this really complicated situation where, man, a lot of times what you see presented is not the real story. And then, and so we get into this thing, because I, I, I want to say, you said, you know, there's, there, we need to make a distinction in how we treat individuals with how we treat overall problem. I think that's true. And yet, when I see able-bodied young men spending their entire day in a homeless encampment on the side of the road, it makes me sick to my stomach. Like, it makes me want to get out and shake the dude, right? Yeah, their, their cell phone is plugged in and they're sitting in a Starbucks. They're dirty. They're horrible. Everybody, it, horrible. I'm sorry. They're not horrible. No, they're, horrible. But they're- Horrible situation. And here, you horrible said person. you said something about, like, uh, maybe the soft-hearted people being like, you just don't want poor people around. You want your stuff to be good. Yes. Yes, I do. And I don't think there's anything wrong with me wanting everybody in that Starbucks, all the women, all the kids, to have a peaceful, pleasant, normal experience. I don't think we need to equivocate and say, no, we need to make space. I don't really think I need to make space for the 23-year-old guy who hasn't showered in four weeks, smells horrible, and has his cell phone plugged in in a Starbucks looking at the screen, and you're, you're like... What is helping him? Well, I think the people. It's so, not. Well, I think we needed to go back to what Bo was saying with regard to the poor and what the Bible says about the poor. The people who we are describing is that what the Bible is talking about? Poor people. Yeah. I, I I don't I don't believe that that's the people that you guys are describing. I don't think that's what the Bible is describing as poor people. That's where I want to go because yeah, I wanted to think about. The, I've been in countries where there's a lot of poor people, and that. It doesn't equal the 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 out of their mind person who's high who's taking up a spot in everything to work. Basically, every Starbucks now is taken over by these people who just have set up camp. They've started blogging off the outlet. Yeah, yeah, smart. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. because they, as far as it's gotten into a bunch of trouble for kicking people out. Right. right? This is and like so, the passive way to not let them congregate. But so for now, the last couple of years, as far as there's a business model for Starbucks, every time I go into Starbucks, I see a handful of disheveled homeless people and then everybody else kind of keeping their distance getting their drinks going away quack and quick and it used to be people would hang out in there that's not what a poor person like yes that person is poor but there are some other things too where if you go to you know I, I, here in the united states there's a lot of poor people if you go to um you know we have several ministries that give out um uh, food they have grocery ministries a lot of the people who come are the urban poor like they're people who they can't afford groceries they're coming getting food Maybe they have a house, maybe they don't, but they're generally respectful. They're generally uh, semi-well taken care of. You know what I mean? They, they're they wearing the clothes. They they try to keep themselves in yeah. in normal shape. They try to stay bathed. They're, they're, they probably don't suffer from drastic addiction issues. So when we say poor, poor does not equal homeless. And I think this is an important part when I think about like just biblically, what does this look like? It's not that every crazy, insane person who is poor is is under the umbrella of how we should treat poor people. Because the Bible has some other things to say too. Let me read you guys just a couple of verses real quick. Um, 2 Thessalonians 3, 10, 11. For even when we were with you, this is the Apostle Paul in the New Testament, post Jesus' resurrection. We used to give you this order. If anyone is not willing to work, then he is not to eat either. For we hear that some of you, some among you are leading undisciplined lives doing no work at all. Okay. The Apostle Paul, New Testament teaching is if you don't work, you starve to death. You're not. You, we're not going to. We're not going to take care of you and, and continue on this kind of thing. If you're able to work, you work. 
First um, Timothy 5.8, but if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his own household, he's denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Talking about men, not only should they provide for themselves, but they should be out there providing for other people too, the people of their own household. Um, Proverbs 18.9, whoever is slack in his work is a brother to him who destroys, right? So so it's not just when we're when we're encountering people on the streets, it's not just, I shouldn't automatically think of, I'm trying to think biblically about this. My mind shouldn't go to, okay, God, what do you want me to, how do you want me to treat poor people? It's also, my mind should go towards, Lord, what do you say about those who are slack, those who are undisciplined, those who refuse to work? And what, how, what is, what does the word, the word say about this? So I think maybe it's helpful and I don't want to create like false categories or whatever, but I think maybe it's helpful to, to think about aside from the people who just need a home. We talked about that. Let's set, set that aside. We want to help those people get into a, a shelter and get into a home and all that. Right. Or the people who uh, are not homeless, they, they need food. They're coming to uh, a, a pantry or something like that. But I think the people that we're talking about that are kind of long-term homeless, um, chronic, home, chronic homelessness, there's maybe like three categories. There's the people who are have some mental um, illness or, or something like that that's just keep they're, they're kind of out of their mind in a lot of ways or, or they're really suffering with something and maybe that's one reason they're out there. There's the very closely related drug addiction or alcohol addiction that's also keeping people out there. And then I think the third category is probably this one of wanting to not have to fit in with the rules of society, the responsibilities of society, of holding a job, of um, uh, of meeting responsibilities in life. And it's a choice to, hey, it's just a lot easier to be out here unencumbered. No one's breathing down my neck. I don't have to pass a drug screen. I don't have to, you know, and even if it's not substance related, although a lot of times it is, there is maybe this third category that's just pure laziness and, and pure kind of um, you know, a lack of responsibility uh, that that you're kind of. Ta- I think that's the category that you're that you're kind of talking about, right? Is the and I'm f- I'm fine. Let, I want to talk about that last person that you talked about because I'm fine if that person wants to live that type of lifestyle outside of societal norms, but he's that person still has to play by the same rules yes. as the rest of society. Right. So you can't just throw trash all over the place. You can't have right. needles and you can't be intimidating people. Right. So you can live your life as long as it's not impeding on your neighbors and your well, community. So I joked, I joked before. They're not trying to be, they're not trying to be an outdoorsman. They're not trying to be off in a isolated place, unencumbered by rules. They want to be right in the center of the protection that those rules offer. Clean streets. They want a clean street to sit down on or they... Take it they they want they want working businesses to go in and get what they need. They don't want to be unencumbered by rules. They want the protection of the rules and then to do as they will. Well, but you I know, but, but, you don't but, get but, both. but they do want to be unencumbered. They just want the benefits of that society right. brings. Well, they don't want. They don't want to. They don't want to. But that's the. Yeah. You don't. That that's gaming us. That's gaming sure. our system. That's yes. saying like. I want everything good that you guys can without make, the restrictions, without any of your yeah. restrictions, and, that, and you don't you don't get and that. That's that is where we're headed all together as a society, and that's why when we brought up this topic of homelessness, I was like, I, I was kind of thinking the topic of homelessness. It sucks. Here's why. It ex- here's some of the problems. Where do we go from here? But I think instead of just focusing on homelessness, l- like we said, I think the reasons the homeless are like um, there. You see, we're talking about our. It's all the things we've allowed in society, the things we've promoted, the lack of honor, the breakdown of community, people being unknown, people being anonymous, um, people, you know, uh, unchecked addiction, escaping reality, um, 
personal there's responsibility. A lo- personal it's responsibility, a symptom. It's pride. Symptom things. Yeah. All, there's a lot of things that our society has been promoting, allowing, um, be a victim mentality of telling people they should be in this place, getting from everyone above them, that everyone above them owes them. You're fine the way you you're are. You're fine the way you are. You're unhoused. Your your addiction isn't yours to control. It's a, it's only a sickness. Um, you know, a lot all this lack of responsibility. I think that's what we've been pushing as a society. The the signal and what we're seeing homelessness is people that have washed. They've just been covered in it and they've washed out and they're getting caught right here. And you see this yeah. this microcosm of. This is the end. This is the end game. Yeah. So we're not a healthy society who has this one issue, right? Right. This is this is if you think about it's not you, the homeless. It's right. Right. It's a byproduct. <laughs> you think of about where our culture has been going. Well, yeah, so you think about you driving your car and all of a sudden some some warning lights start flashing. Right. This is a big indicator. This is a big signal, big warning sign that hey, there's some real things wrong here. There's some things that are broken, and the the sharp increase that we've all just personally experienced are kind of the early warning signs of saying, maybe they're not early warning signs, maybe they're yeah, middle yeah, yeah, warning yeah. signs. The gears uh, are grinding yeah, in the car. Things are falling apart yeah. here. And what's what's really wild about it is you think about what role does society's expectations have in keeping people kind of on the same page, in line, you know, what? like like I was really surprised. This is kind of a, a one-off thing, but during COVID, I was really surprised with how many homeless people I saw wearing masks. Because I just thought, man, if you can't you can't function in society because you're unable to. And yet I saw all these people walking down the road, talking to themselves out of their minds, wearing a mask. And I just you thought. That's probably what, if you're not wearing a mask and someone's going to pull over, you know, uh, some, some mask <laughs> right. nut is going to be yelling at a homeless person. That's right? my point, sort of. There, there is this, there's a social out. pressure that they're picking up on. They're yeah, aware yeah. of, oh, oh I'm going to wear my mask. Yeah, yeah. And I wonder what other social pressures they would be susceptible to to learning like if we like again if we say hey you're a victim and you can't be blamed for anything you can't take any responsibility because we want to you know you you can't you we need to embrace this victimhood that's one of the things our society's been pushing for a long time um one of the interesting things i think uh spence you had showed an article or something that had to that made this indication that uh the occupy wall street movement it was that i don't know probably eight years ago Something like that. It was in it was during the crash, it was right it was after the, the oh, two thousand eight. So way right after, after. It was, yeah, so, yeah. yeah. So fifteen years ago is in in Wall Street, and they have all these people just camped out in these parks, right? They're uh, that are protesting the greed of Wall Street or whatever, and that um that that lasted for a month or a couple months or something. But then after it fell apart, they ended up giving away all these these tents that a lot of these you know like young yeah. professionals uh, had, and they ended up giving them to all these homeless people, and that's partly like why you saw this rise in like yeah. nice tents uh, for people yeah. on the side of the road. You know what I mean? That I think that, uh, it, you know, there's a complicated problem, but I do think that is at least part of what is happening with the expansion of encampments. Because, yeah. because before that Occupy Wall Street thing, you weren't having, at least from my perspective, which is obviously limited, you weren't having huge, but huge. You weren't having multiple tents kind of take over an area and city in a city. So little tent cities right in the midst of things. And now in like in LA, Skid Row, you drive down there. It it's its own thing. It's It's multiple Skid Rows within cities. Compounding of tents and, 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 you know, little shanty setups right within downtown happening in San Diego where 
Yeah. My, my point in bringing it up, though, was partially the, the whole argument behind Occupy Wall Street was that it's the greed of large corporations that is causing regular Americans to be oppressed. And I think there's something to that. Like, I'm not I'm not going to resist that whole idea. But the that idea of it's not your fault. You ha- never had a chance. You are. It's the same thing we talked about with race. It's the same thing we're talking about, you know, with, with poor people. Same. It's like the intersectionality of who can be the biggest victim is what that produces is sick people who don't take responsibility. And the someone. worst thing is, it's not just you didn't have a chance. This is what happened to you. It's you'll never. This is who this is. You could try as hard as you want. You're and down, you'll never get ahead. You're down here and you will never climb up as long as these people don't change. Right. You don't have anything to change. You have no control over your yeah. life. You have no power. You have no dignity. This is what they're. This is it's a strange. So, it's a sub- Yeah. This is the subversive. This is what's under what they're saying. Right. You stay where you are. You have no chance to change your life. Well, the, it's sick. That, that, it's a strange caste system where you these people want to be in the lowest caste. They want to prove. And here's what here's what's caste, so yeah. wicked about it, though, is it not just is for the person on the street. It's the person who's looking for how do we bring solutions? How do we help? They don't think if we're if we're going to if you're going to believe that if you're going to buy into that lie, you don't think anything good can actually come from really helping somebody because as long as somebody's got as long as the man has their boot on their neck. They can never get ahead. And so it creates these this whole culture that, man, it's not people working towards getting better. It's just blaming, 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 and it never gets any better. You were reading some verses, and I, I, I wanted to actually put this out there kind of as a question, too, because I was trying to understand from a biblical perspective how to think about this. And I, I think the story of the Good Samaritan is one of the main anchors for how we think about interacting with somebody who, who is... Is we see that is down, right? But in that story, it dawned on me, the person actually isn't homeless. The person is fell upon by robbers. Right. And so he had, he or them, they had something happen to them. Yeah. And then you intervene to help them at that point. They're not in this perpetual state of being down. Right. They're not in a that mind state that they can't. They have something kind of like your story, like the guy gets hit with a baseball bat, he's got a headache. And you try to intervene in that situation. It's hard to pull those out of the the totality of what's going on with homeless. But that was, I, I put that out there as at least part of this. Like our call in that story is to help, but not just to help indiscriminately. It's to help somebody who had something specific happen to them that we come alongside them and intervene because they were truly taken advantage of. The other thing, the, the stories I'd like to point out are some of the stories where Jesus interacts with homeless people. He doesn't always meet their need. He he does it in a supernatural way because he has that power, but he interacts with people that are destitute and he tells them, get up and go. He changes them so they actually get up and go. He doesn't just hand poor people things. He, you know, the, the story of the the friends or the, the, the I'm going to mix them up. I should have been tighter, but um, the there's a, a story where there's a man at a, a well and he's waiting regularly like to get his alms. That's where he is at. Full of Bethesda, and, he, yeah. and he's crippled in some way. Right. And what, uh, Jesus does this in a couple instances, but he says, get up. He's not. He says, first off, he says, do you want to get better? And the man says, no, I don't have anybody to put me in the way. He said, that's not what I asked you. Exactly. Said, do you want to get better? Do you want to get better is a part of that story that Jesus is communicating to people. And, and that guy, it's interesting because you read the story, that guy's identity had, had come to be. And I'm this is all I am who doesn't have a chance, never had a shot. And Jesus says, do you want to be well? And it's, you're making an interesting point that when Jesus comes and heals people, he doesn't heal people and then get them a job and then, you know, walk them through and get them job training and go back to school. 
he just heals him and says, okay, now go and do what is you should be doing in life, right? Like, I'm not, let me, you need to help, you need help in this situation. Yeah, it's not your fault you're blind. It's not your fault you're, you're uh, uh, paralyzed. Let me, obviously it's supernatural, it's healing, but let me fix this part. But then now you go do- Immediately have to go do. do. Yeah. And I, I think in a lot of ways, that's that positive social pressure or even like, like I think in a, in a lot of ways, we've lost a positive social stigma. Right. That, um, that if you saw a young man- sitting somewhere dirty look watching a video on his phone out of work partially high whatever um there there should be a positive social pressure that makes him uncomfortable to exist in that state that he should he should not have the resources handed out to him to subsidize laziness and there should not be an ease in in living that kind of lifestyle so, and so yeah. i think there's two things there there's one of them is about assistance, financial and otherwise, that in some ways we're subsidizing this type of laziness. I think there's a lack of just social, positive social stigma or whatever you want to call it that says, hey, it isn't okay to be a young, able-bodied man out of work in our society. If right. you don't work, you don't eat. We don't subsidize that. And we're not okay with it. Go get up, go get a job, so this, go get a house. This Starbucks story, this Starbucks story, we, we've been to all kinds of Starbucks where this is happening. In in my neighborhood I live in, there's a McDonald's and a Starbucks pretty close to each other. So the Starbucks has this happening. I go in there every now and then, pop in, get a coffee, try to sit down and do some work. If you can find an outlet, and there's there's young men, no jobs, watching their phone. I you know go to I go through the drive-through at McDonald's, and it's a decent McDonald's, whatever. In the drive-through window, there's a sign. It's a McDonald's sign. Maybe they put it up or something, but it says. Bear with us. It's hard to find good work, or it's hard. We're all having a hard time finding yeah. workers in the drive-through window yeah. to try to give themselves some cushion because it's taking a little longer for things. Which with in California minimum wage fifteen dollars an hour. And oh, they just literally twenty. Okay, literally uh, two stores away. Workers. Two stores away. There's men that are in this age watching their cell phone, and what needs to happen. But I don't have. Well, well, I could. I should and could still do it. But what needs to happen is that person, there's all kinds of jobs like that. You say some McDonald's application. Just hand them a McDonald's application. These guys need work. They're having yeah. a, and I think there's. Yeah, also, I don't think that would work though. Right? But there's, a, there's this, there's buried in these ideas is also like your starting point. We talked a few weeks ago about work. You're, I think people have in their minds, they can't get somewhere because there's somebody oppressing them, but they also have a real weird idea about what their starting point is going to look like when you're 20 and you haven't done anything. Your starting point is the CVS bad guy or right. McDonald's or something that isn't fun. You don't want to stay there, but it's a part of how you move society in the right direction. You know, what's interesting as you point that out, though, like, so here's a job. Here's a guy that presumably doesn't have a job. Right. And and Mike says, if you went and handed him an application, said you can get a good job making 15 or 20 an hour, it wouldn't work. And I think that's really key because why wouldn't that work? Yeah. And it wouldn't work because that man's idea of purpose in life he's doing what he wants to be doing right he doesn't say i want to get a home build from there have a family someday provide for them be a pillar of my community so it really i think it comes down to an idea of purpose that there is a such a lack of purpose yeah that today's goal is to maybe get a little high maybe watch some netflix shows on my phone and starbucks right 
go sleep somewhere where no one's going to bother me. Pleasure and consuming. It, yeah. It's biting time. Yeah. Well, what, it's, it's biting time. Well, let's rewind that even further and say, where did that person get that worldview? I know that societal pressure isn't what we've been saying, but I mean, to, to bring a point that you said and you said where something happened to the Good Samaritan, there was an action that happened to him. And then where do we get the worldview is usually a lot of homeless people experience some kind of trauma in their life. It's sure. unaddressed. And then they fall into despair. They fall into anxiety, depression. And then how do they cope with that? It's drug, it's mental illness. So it's unaddressed stuff. And so really, where did they get the worldview from? It was absent in their families. So can I give can I give three things that I think uh, are, this is systemic of three larger, more major yeah. problems. That's where I was going is, with it. Is one is families, like you brought up, right? We have this, this falling apart of the family unit. So when we talk about uh, sex, we talk about the design for for marriage, the design for husband and wife. Like we remove all the the parameters and the norms about that. We, I think we talked about that last time in the in the episode where we're talking about homosexuality. Um, you find a a falling apart of families where you should get. Look at this this verse. I thought was was interesting. Proverbs ten five says, "He who gathers in summer is a prudent son, but he who sleeps in harvest is a son who brings shame." Like we have no sense of shame anymore as a culture. And so there's no sense of shame from your family, no sense of obligation to your family. We we have devalued family to the level where we're experiencing all these consequences because of it. We also have an evolutionary worldview that we've been teaching for going on a hundred years here. And and in that, there's a sense of there is no there is no eternal destiny. There is no purpose in life. You were just uh, uh, what happens? You're the production of a bunch of atoms smashing Ultra. together, and they smash in the wrong way. Yeah, and if you yeah. te- if you teach that, then it's just get what happy is, if you can. Well, yeah, yeah. What is the purpose? the purpose? The purpose is just yeah. myself and yeah. and 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 be my own s- s- personal gratification. And so we we haven't given we haven't as a as a culture upheld the idea that you are a, you are designed for a purpose. You have meaning. It's actually vastly far greater than anything you could ever conceive of. It's so it's so significant, it's so important. And so we've. We've thrown that away. And then we just have this, this general cultural decline where we don't have expectations on people ourselves as a culture that, look, this is what it means to be an American. This is what it means to be part of our community. This is what it means to be a San Diegan. I expect more of you. So when we talk about how do you, how do you separate out that story of that person you can help, that's one question. But the other question I want to ask is how do you separate out that person who has no business being on the street and needs a kick in the pants? And, and hey, man, you're not welcome here. I mean, like if, if I'm being totally honest, you're not welcome. here. You're not welcome to sit in my Starbucks by my house where, where you are, you know, okay, I'm, I don't work for Starbucks, right? But you're not welcome to, to, to defecate on my street. You're not welcome to walk around naked in my neighborhood without some consequences. I mean, that's what it seems like. And the, yeah, and I, I agree. And I think that I have, t- I have two quick stories. One, um, you know, uh, early morning on trash days, I don't know if you guys have seen it, homeless guys or whoever will come around and start digging through your recycling to get cans out, right? Well, I met a guy out there one time, starts coming from my trash cans. And my response is, hey, how's it going? Morning, right? So I strike up a conversation with him. Hey, just to let you know, man, you're welcome to go through the recycling bin for cans or whatever else. I don't have a lot in there. Don't go through my trash. People go through trash for identity theft, stealing stuff. Do not touch my trash cans. You're welcome to go through the recycling. And his response, okay, great. Is the guy going to go through my trash? Maybe. Is he trying to, you know, but that, that thing of, hey, I see you. I know what you're doing. I'm not, uh, I'm not against you. I see what you're trying to do. Go ahead and, t- and take some cans. But there are some, there's some rules here. Um, there's something that we can, we can operate in. Another one, 
this guy driving by just th throws his drink at my at my house, right? Like from Starbucks drink, you know, you right? Um, he drives off. <laughs> what did you do to him? I'll tell you right now. <laughs> uh, I see, I see the car. You know, I look at my cameras. I see the car. I go driving through the neighborhood. I find him. You know, two miles away. You know, going into some house. I park, wait for him to come out of the house. He gets in his car. I pull up right next to his window, right? And I said, hey, man, how's it going? You know, you're throwing stuff in my house. Oh, no, it wasn't me, man. Yeah, I know it was you. Oh, okay. I'm, you know, I'm sorry, man. I'm like, hey, he's all, someone, he's all, I'm sleeping in my car. Someone keeps calling the cops on me. You know, I said, hey, first off, that wasn't me. You're going through hard times. You're sleeping in your car. I don't much mind that. You start throwing stuff in my house. Now we have a problem. I said, look, I told him, if you need something, I'm willing to help you out. But I got my wife and kids in the house. You're, you're doing stuff to my house. That's not going to happen anymore. Now we both know each other, right? We know where each other go, your neighborhood, your car. Let's just show each other a little more respect. Yeah. You know, let it forward. You and I, let's show each other some some mutual respect here, right? And, oh, okay, fair enough, man, you know? And, you know, the conversation went a little bit longer. Again, so I try to emphasize, if you need something, I'm more than willing to help. I'm not calling the cops on you. If you're in hard times, let me know. But also, don't do don't do that. Well, I think a lot of Christians, really, not even Christians, I think society as a whole is starting to experience compassion fatigue. Right. Where we're kind of sick of it. And I saw this video on online of this business owner. I don't know where he was, but there was this homeless person sitting in front of his business and he's just sitting there spraying the person with a hose. <laughs> do you guys remember that? And then the person, ah, stop, stop, stop. He's like, are you going to leave? Are you going to leave? And, and of course, you know, internet trolls are out there saying, well, how dare you? And this and that. I'm like, but this is a man who has reached his breaking point well, and, at a certain point. And, and he said, I'm, this is my business. This is business. And I'm trying to provide, like we're talking about a living for not only my employees, but my family. family. And then it's also my neighborhood who's seen a decline and people's lives are being ruined and they're being pushed into depression yeah. and they're being pushed into poverty. And it's all because this person is refusing to abide by the same rules. And so I think one thing that we need to do as Christians is we made that distinction um, in scripture is the poor, a lot of times people will take our Bible, they've never read it, and they use it as a bludgeoning stick against us and say, you're supposed to care for poor people no matter what, no matter what they're doing, and beat us over the head with it. And I think it's important that we as Christians make that distinction, say what the actual poor person looks like in biblical times versus now, and what the Bible says about work and being responsible for your own person. Yes, yeah, so I think I think that's part of at least a takeaway. Like I, I think one of the the problems with this kind of if we're using homelessness as a catch all for this kind of major societal ill is that, you know, we 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 kind of make it seem like we we don't have the answer. Like we can't solve it easily or just enact this law or put this program into place. And so we kind of think, man, we just kind of give throw our hands up and think there's nothing we can do. I think there's lots of things we can do and I think Great. that we should be doing. And I think we need to take a long view on it, that this is not, I think it's, I think it's one of those situations Then the government's not going to fix this for us. The it, took can, us it took us 10 years to get here. It's going to take us 10 years to get on it. The government can do some things to help. And, and I think they should, but the, the government can't fix this. This is, this is cultural societal problems for, for families. But one of the things I think that we need to stop doing is we need to stop giving compassion where we shouldn't give compassion. We need to stop indiscriminately just seeing someone on the side of the road and thinking, I need to help that person. I should give that person money. I should, I should, you know, feel um, empathetic or sympathetic in some way when 
that's actually but you know i think a, on, a, on a person-to-person scale we talked about we talked about some less of the idea of righteousness and peace meeting together that verse also talks about the idea of mercy and truth yeah have come together right the person on the side of the road the person who sleeping outside your house taking a duck those guys hey i have mercy there's mercy here you've gone through something I can help try to get you somewhere better. You can do it. Right. You can be raised up from this. Right. I want to bless you in Jesus' name. Mercy, the truth, you can't be, this is not good for you. You can work. You can do it. There's a line here that's not to be crossed. I think holding both on a, you know, on a Mike, Mike, to, Mike, to your point about compassion, there's a really good book called The Tragedy of American Compassion. Anybody listening should watch it. And then also Poverty, Inc. It's a, a documentary on uh prime and it t- and i think one of the reasons we're here as an american society is because clear, we don't get sponsored by prime uh, amazon prime. <laughs> okay not yet they're not yet we're, we're not there yet. the call's in no yeah. um, be quite a line yeah <laughs> no but um one of the uh one of the um i forgot my point oh my point was um with regard to compassion and no i forgot it you well, you were saying you were saying watching both these this this documentary. Oh, part of the apartment. reason why we're in this issue in America is because we had excess, and we think fixing the problem yeah, yeah, yeah. is just throw more money at it and right. throw resources that's at good, it. That's a great and point. so and so you don't have these problems in third world countries where there's not excess. Right. And so you're seeing the development of these problems go all the way as low as they can get, because if there was yeah, that's a really important point because in the the stories that Tobias has told about his personal stories or in what we were using as examples from the Bible, the answer isn't money. The answer isn't just handing more and more thing or money government programs now, or this the yeah. government programs. I uh, uh, thanks to our our friend Phil here, am am in like just a little bit of understanding how government programs get set up. Um, I'm on a planning group. The county of San Diego is the most in uh, incongruent entity in trying to develop programs to answer this. They they want to uh, advocate for building more low income, and I think the the it's coming down from the state. So they they have these charters like we need to make more low income housing, and so they just roll out plans that are just we we've joked and you know about like bulldozer approaches to things they roll out these plans and we've developed all these uh, in in land use and planning we've developed all these standards and all these systems to help our society and the infrastructure of it kind of function well and there there's reasons that there's setbacks in street and that zoning is done and you know these government plans are like well we need to build low-income housing so all of those things that we've said are good set them aside so we can build low-income housing and then you and you just sit there as like this head scratcher is like, that's the answer. The answer is to demolish what we've you, whether you agree with it perfectly or not. And you want more libertarian take on things. But we've got policies and structures and frameworks in place to help cities design in a way and be built in a way that allows them to function and thrive. That And you you enter in this idea that there's unhomed or whatever unhoused people that become the most desperate need. The government isn't the answer. They 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 they're too bludgeonry with it. They're all, they're very uh, infiltrated with a mindset that's not working. But what I'm seeing just in my little short tenure is they just set aside all the standards and say, no, you can build as much as you want if it's for low income or something like that. Which is this? It's this kind of grotesque overworking of compassion it's, because standards are there for our 
our total good. We want things to be designed well. We want our Starbuckses and stuff to be clean and functioning and and like organized. Organized. It's, like it's you're talking about like a free pass on the law is the wrong. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They'll, they'll excuse your your building, your zoning codes. They'll excuse how which I think to Mike parking you have to Mike make mentioned like, something earlier that was um that uh you said something like um, it's not easy um to enforce i think or it's, it's not easy to, to enforce right and i think the um or it's not easy to make laws that help with right. it right and i think the interesting thing is that most of the things that we're talking about that are wrong with what, what, what we're calling the homeless activity there are laws that if enforced would prevent it right and so there's there seems to be this pass that um, we're just looking the other way and not enforcing a lot of laws about all kinds of things that you're not allowed to do in society. The laws are on the book. I agree. But yeah. we are not enforcing them. And I think if we enforce those those laws with some real uh, you know, rigor. Consequences. Then the other things that can't be solved by law would become more apparent and then we can address those things. Yeah, what's interesting is, is and I don't want to get too much into why California specifically is such a hellhole of of this kind of stuff. There have been several propositions that have been passed, several uh, drug laws that have been dismissed off the books, several systemic problems that are, they're bigger. They're trying to put a bandaid on it with low income housing as if you can take these people and just put them in a low income apartment and it sells a problem. It just becomes a tenement housing. And all of a sudden you have, you know, all kinds of things that are, are I, why I don't think that's actually the solution. Um, but what's, what's interesting is, is a lot of those laws, they don't have to be that way. They could easily be a different law, right? They could, you could, enforce drug laws right now you talk to police officers police officers know that if they find someone with meth if they find somebody with these hard drugs they're going to write them a ticket they can't even take them downtown process them if they do they'll be released the same day so these are things that you used to go to prison for right and and now we have we have made it so frivolous it doesn't matter they know if they steal if they steal below a certain amount it's it's not going to cost i mean so there's so many things that are that are that's, disincentives. That's a real wild law that's going on right now. I but, don't know if it's everywhere, but that one's pretty, pretty wild. Yes, but there, I want to say this other thing. What, what was also interesting? There's all this apparatus, and I don't know. I don't know exactly all the details, but some of the court rules about um, taking people's stuff that are homeless people, you know, uh, confiscation of their possessions and stuff. And I don't, I don't know exactly how to work all that out. But you guys all saw, I think, this last week, uh, President Xi Jinping from China came to San Francisco, met with uh, Newsom and Biden. And everybody in San Francisco was like, wait a second, how did this happen? Because they cleaned all the streets. There was no homeless people. The whole main thoroughfare there, I think it's market um, marketplace or whatever it is, the, the main road there. It's kind of like iconic San Francisco was totally cleaned up, totally clean from all homeless people. New planners, pressure wash. Yeah, yeah beautiful, yeah. smells good. Yeah. The, the the architecture of the city is popping because it's like all the, what, the way it's supposed to be. And everybody's living there is going, dude, how, you guys you, had the ability to do this? this? Right. And then people, I saw some memes that were like, hey, can Xi Jinping come to San Diego? Yeah. I mean, like yeah. our city. <laughs> so, so like all these kinds of things. So like they have the ability to, to at least make it, here's, and here's what I think part of it is. I think what we need to do. Part of it is we need to make it harder for homeless people to be homeless. And what I, what I mean is, is for able-bodied working people to just coast and like live unencumbered and unharassed on the streets, be able to live and do whatever they want. That actually should be uh, something of a difficult proposition for them. And, and something that is, that is, uh, that comes with a lot of really like, I mean, I don't want to get to whatever, but 
scary challenges, something, it needs to be something that, ha- that carries with some consequences. It just says, look, you're not going to do that here. And so it, it, it forces people to say, you, you want to go live out in Slab City in the middle of the desert and live by your own rules? Okay, you can do it out there, but you can't do it in San Diego. Well, also, we just don't need to en- enable it. Right. So, so like, there's a microcosm, there. there's a microcosm of cultures within the United States. And you if, drive around San Diego or San Francisco, LA, you will find 30 different nonprofits helping homeless or or this and that. Go to a different part of the country, you're not going to find 30 different nonprofit organizations. Okay, but here, so there's a culture of... Because I, I think part of the answer is you want, like ECTLC, right? Yeah. I think the work that they're doing makes sense. East County Transitional Living Center. They're saying, look, if you want to come, a lot of these people, a lot of people are on the streets. They have ma- They have a whole confluence of problems, right? They they don't have any money. Uh, they they have health issues. They have legal issues. They have all these, you know, whatever whatever the situation is. Okay, um, you can come here, but here's the rules: you're going to detox, you're going to get clean, and you're going to go out to our ranch. And for ninety days, you're going to live out there. You're going to be doing work on the road, and you're not going to be able to. Uh, co- you're not going to be able to come see your friends. You're not going to be able to. Uh, to, to get alcohol or drugs, you're just going to live out. They make them pay a portion of their rent too because right. they get social services and so say, hey, you got to give a third or a quarter of the, what you're getting to the program. I mean, the, my point is the program is set up to actually help people get clean and get free. I'm all for programs that work like that. Yeah, right. If you're a program that just gives services and food and whatever to to people who are delinquent and they're just, all they're doing is grifting and living off of of your help and they're just perpetuating the problem, which is what we have a lot of, which is a lot of what social services does to be totally yep. honest with you. Um, that needs to change. And I think that's, I think we need to to think through that and, and people need to wake up. You know, this, this is partly why I thought it'd be good for us to talk about this on this podcast is because um, I think, I think people at Christians, citizens, their perspective needs to be eye-opened a little bit. You talked about uh, compassion fatigue. Um, I think increasingly we need to call a spade a spade and say, look, this is not working. We're actually not loving people. We're not helping any That's of these right. people. This is not good for these people. We need to do something different. I think, yeah, that point you said that uh, we're not helping them. Like the Bible doesn't call us to give money or resources strictly. It, it does call us to help yeah. the poor and to give right. And and so, and it does obviously a lot of that in the examples are giving because their need was material, yeah. water, food, right? But what are the needs now? We're not called to just indiscriminately give resources. We're called to help. And so we need to think carefully about what it means to help. There's a really good book called When Helping Hurts. Yeah. And the title alone um, it should, it is something that I think about often. Yeah. You know? And we don't want to get too in the weeds about, oh, I'm not going to do this one thing because maybe it has some butterfly right. effect and hurts. Right. No. But we do want to think carefully about what it means to actually help someone and do that. Well, I think it's the face-to-face interaction that's missing in our culture where you have this blind government who just doles out money, hotel vouchers, resources, as opposed to how God wants us to have a relationship with people, which is face-to-face. So when you're helping people, you can see, oh, I just gave that person $5 and he bought a 40 of Old English. You know what I mean? And then that money was going to go feed my kids and that now that that's taken out of my kids you know a uh, fund so when this guy comes to me for more uh, money i'm not going to give it to him again and that's what's missing is that or maybe, it might be interesting too at some point to think about how we make it harder cuz i i think there's there's pressure that we can we should 
as Christians, we should try and exert, and and it should be positive but pressure to get. Life good. is hard enough as it is, I, yeah. So I don't think you need to make it hard. You just need to make. No. You need to go back to how life used to be. Well, which here's is just, here's where it's I, benign. I think social pressure to do the right thing, social pressure okay. to do to move towards good, is I think part of the our responsibility as Christians, and and so interacting with people in a way that is truth and mercy. Part of the mercy is like, I see where you're at yeah. and I'm not, I'm not against you. I want your well-being. Part of the truth is like, here's what is good. And I'm not going to, I'm not going to move that boundary for you. Yeah. I, I, I think maybe it could be for a different discussion, but I don't think the answer is law or making more things criminal because our, our, we have maybe like we're confronted by a few types of problems. I don't think our criminal justice system is necessarily the answer for homelessness. Now, when right. they start well, stealing, if they if they're in, I, I was at uh, a place buying something for myself. It was it was a wild experience. Maybe during COVID or right after, like right after stores are opening back up. I'm I'm looking and shopping. This guy looks homeless, maybe not, but also looks just like trouble. He he just know. Person comes to help me, and I'm talking to him about something I want to buy. The guy just grabs something. I'm looking at him, and the attendant's looking at him, and just grabs like three or four. I think it was cologne at like Nordstrom's or something, grabs like three or four of the largest bottles and just walks out of the store. And it's like, it, the, me, I probably should have done more to intervene, but the attendant is standing there. He's kind of like ho-hum about it. Security won't interfere. And there's no recourse for stealing up to $900 or something like that in a lot of these cities. Now that, that is criminal. Yeah. So, so what about, let's just remember the situation that was made national news of the guy who, um, was on the riding the train, the subway in New York, and this guy starts freaking out, talking about he's going to kill people, he's going to fight people. The guy ends up confronting him, Choking. putting him in a chokehold. The guy ends up dying because he he was trying to hold him in this in this chokehold. It's a it's a carotid artery hold, difficult to manage easily, right? The guy ends up dying, and the guy ends up getting prosecuted by the prosecutor. When everybody's like, "Man, this guy was freaking out, saying he's going to kill people." So I think. When we punish people, you guys saw the 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 liquor store. This beating with the stick. Yeah, it's a Sikhs where there's a yeah, Sikh owned liquor yeah, store. Yeah, this yeah. guy came and just starts grabbing cigarettes into a trash bag, yeah. and the guy filming is like, "Oh man, you can't do anything. There's nothing you can do about it. You know that's a bummer. You just have to call the cops." And the guy, the guy comes over the side with a broomstick, starts beating the guy, and it was like it was so gratifying. It was so yeah. he got in trouble gratifying. too, didn't he? And or he got in trouble too. So. The point is, we have to stop punishing law-abiding yeah, right. people yeah. who are who are, who are protecting themselves, their families, and their businesses, and start punishing actual criminals. Yeah. I think so. I think there are some things that we can do legally. I don't think it solves the whole problem, but wh- I just want to say, and, and maybe we can start to wrap up. But you know, uh, Phil, there was that large encampment over here, in Magnolia County, yeah. in Magnolia. And there was a it was a hotbed for crime, right? I mean, tell me, tell us again what happened there. Yeah, so there there was actually trafficking, like child trafficking there. Some girl that was abducted was found there. Right. There was rapes that happened there. They found a dead body. Yeah. Um, there, there was. I mean, overdoses were just commonplace a couple times a day. So some bleeding heart person drives by and thinks, oh man. Well, they go. Well, then people will drive by and drop off blankets. To right. Them. I'm so sympathetic to the situation. It's like actually, what you're doing is you're giving aid and comfort to. To people who are preying on other people right here in front of you and you're supporting it. So when we allow stuff like that to happen, what we're actually doing is we're giving support and supplies to people who are criminals who are taking advantage of other people. So there, there are legitimately mentally ill people. There are people who legitimately 
are saying, man, I don't have a place to go right now. Where should I go? I guess maybe I go camp with these guys. Maybe there's safety in numbers. They're getting raped. They're getting this stole. They're getting ripped off. They're getting beaten. Yeah. They're getting assaulted. So like we have to say, look, no more of this lawlessness, like no more of this kind yeah, of, we have to stand against and, that. And always. that, that, the lawlessness is what keeps coming to my mind as we talk about it as the overarching, it's a societal lawlessness and it's a spiritual lawlessness, which is sin. Yeah. Both things need to be addressed. We need Absolutely. more spiritual discipline. We need more discipline in society. We need more accountability. We need people, we want people to be known, right? But both be known by God and know that they matter. They can do better and be known in society that you are a part of something. You can't just shun things and do whatever you want. That, that a, I think is really critical because you've got this thing in Seattle, the Chad district or whatever, that, that little mini place in, in our part of town, it was starting to resemble that. They had yeah, power hookups. They had power hookups. <laughs> they had, <laughs> I didn't know about it. They, they were encroaching on your, your street. You, you right. got less and less street yeah. to drive down. They're standing on the street as cars are having to kind of navigate going by each other. It, it's a little mini infiltration in a sense into what we are agreeing upon and how to live. Pastor Mark said something. Re- Pastor Mark said something recently at church. He said, "The more you move away from honoring God, the more you wait, move from uh, humanity to zoomanity. Right? The more you become animal-like in your perspective and your thinking and your the the debaseness of your life and how you even view other people, how you view the world you live in. So, I think in some real way too. I think just as Christians, I think like everything. I think I wouldn't be surprised if every podcast." <laughs> ends with something like this, which is the gospel is the solution. Yeah, it should end that way. Yeah, yeah people yeah. turning to Jesus and and hearing the good news that sinners can be saved um, and saved for a purpose that God has called you. He He has a kingdom. We have a king. We have a Lord, and He wants good for you. He we need, not only he wa- He wants good for the whole world, and we need to build that kingdom. Be working towards it. That's the gospel, and that's what needs to take root in families as we're raising up our sons and daughters. As what we're investing in them. What the people we have influence over as we're mentoring people, as we're, you know, uh, trying to be protect, protective, as we're trying to be productive people. I think the the mission, the 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 word that they need to hear from us is that God has a design, a purpose. And as you do that, the world opens up and becomes an opportunity. Yeah. And that's what it is for all those people on the streets is, man, God loves you, has a purpose for you. And and turn from your wickedness. If you're a criminal, turn from your your addiction, be saved. And that that's where I think we're going to find our way out of this, what feels like chaos and our solution. So I, I, I think we can put a pin in it there and um, we'll be back uh, in two weeks with another podcast. God bless you guys. Thanks for joining us.